So if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy and chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 9 through 22. The title today, very simply, is It Takes a Church. Have you heard It Takes a Village? That's kind of an old uh, political phrase, right? It Takes a Church. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 22. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Verse 12. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, and the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick, and do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. There's a lot of people in the ministry there, isn't it, right? And we're going to work our way through this passage today, and hopefully you'll learn a few characteristics of some of these people. And again, the idea we've talking about all through 2 Timothy is that we would be learning from some people and then we would be teaching others, right? We're passing the faith along. And so today I have the same thing for you to be thinking of. Who am I really growing from and who am I learning from? And who am I helping to grow and to become like Christ? This from Manvi Singh, it's a good illustration I thought we'd start with today about this idea of love, and especially in a context of mental health that we talk about a lot of times today. I thought this was appropriate. <clears throat> it says a friendship bench is quite literally a park bench with a higher calling. In Zimbabwe, friendship benches are located on the grounds of medical clinics around major cities. They're a safe place where trained community members counsel folks struggling with what they in the local Shona language call kufangasisa or thinking too much or what we Americans call depression. That's kind of interesting, isn't it, right? Thinking too much is equated with depression. Dr. Dixon Shabanda, a psychiatrist at the University of Zimbabwe, came up with the name Friendship Bench back in 2006. In Zimbabwe, as in most places, there's a lot of stigma around mental illness. 
And Shabanda figured out that while people were hesitant to head to a mental clinic and speak with a medical professional about their mental health, they were generally willing to sit on a park bench and share their worries with someone within their own community. At these benches, community counselors and patients meet weekly to discuss intimate issues and develop a plan to overcome difficulties. The strategy seems to be working. According to a study that tracked 573 patients with anxiety or depression for a six-month period, only 13% of those who participated in the Friendship Bench program still had symptoms of depression. Now, why in the world am I bringing up friendship benches in the middle of a message, right? And what I want you to see is that our church in some way should resemble a friendship bench. And you're going to see today that it takes so many people in the church to encourage one another. And sometimes we feel alone and sometimes we feel it together, but we need to reach out a helping hand to each other. And I hope that as you think through these personalities that we look at today, the Lord will speak to your heart about maybe the one that you can mimic or imitate, that you can help the church be what it needs to be. Let's start with a helping hand. Look down again, if you would, there in verse nine, a helping hand. Paul to Timothy says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful for me in my ministry. When I think of Paul, I think of someone who's a mighty person of faith, but even he needs help. Why don't you think about that today? Someone who walked as close with the Lord that he could be inspired to write over half of the New Testament, and he needs help. So for you to think I got this and I don't need help is pretty much a stretch, I would say today, right? We need to be mindful that we all need help. And sometimes things don't go our way, right? What do you say about Demas? Demas is gone. Demas has forsaken me. If you would uh, want to follow along, I'm going to pull up a couple scriptures here. Colossians chapter 4, in verse 14, Paul writing to the church at Colossae, he says at the very end of that book, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you, Colossians 4.14. But then in Philemon chapter 1, verse 23, we also see, there salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas, my fellow laborers. But when we get here into the book of 2 Timothy, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me. You ever been forsaken? Have you ever been the only one left when you're working? But tell me about how this feels. You guys know this feeling. Everybody probably in here has done this before, right? For me, sometimes you get out and you start mowing the grass. And a couple of people are helping along and things are looking pretty good. And you're like, oh, we're going to be done in no time. And then all of a sudden, somebody takes off and then somebody else takes off and then you're, you're the one left, right? Ever been cleaning? And everybody's helping clean it, and you're thinking, boy, this is going good, and then somebody leaves, and somebody leaves, and you're like, am I the only one? I remember doing a roofing project on a church in Salem, Illinois, with Tom Johnson one time, and these guys came from all around, and we flew through this massive roof, like in two days, all this stuff, and the only thing that needed to be done left was the top of the very top of the church, and everybody's like, oh, it's almost done, they'll be fine, 
And it was me and Tom Johnson on the top of the roof for about eight hours trying to finish something that we could have finished probably in an hour, but everybody's like, oh, it's almost done. We're going to go, right? Here, what we see the same truth for Paul is like Demas was with him in Colossians. He was with him in Philemon, but Demas, he got tired and he left. We don't know the whole reason why. Some people have speculated that it was about material things. As you're going to see, Paul didn't have a lot of stuff, right? And to walk with Christ sometimes is a different life. It just is. And when everybody around you has got everything, they've got nice cars and nice shoes and nice homes and nice houses, and you don't have that, that can be a a temptation. We don't really know exactly what happened, but we know that he wanted out and that he left. He, He wanted something else more than he wanted the Lord. And Paul has been left in a bind. And so Paul is hurting. That's one reason why he wants Timothy to get to him as quickly as possible. Where is Paul? He's in jail. I think we forget that sometimes as we're going through the prison epistles, but he's in prison right now. And he's like, hey, come as quickly as you can. The people that are supposed to be carrying on this work, uh, some of them have have left me. And and Demas is definitely one of those. It would appear that Crescens and Titus, they are sent to continue works that had begun under Paul's watch. And Paul would love to have kept his co-laborers with him, but he knows those other works need help. Sometimes you have to send the help someplace else, right? You'd like to keep it, you'd like to hang on to it, but you have to deliver where it goes. And because of Demas's failure, somebody else had to step up. And then also it caused some hurt for others. Now, Luke is there. So I think it is good that you know Paul says, I'm not completely alone because Luke is with me. And I would tell you this morning that everybody would love to have a Luke for a friend. And so Paul is desperate for help. And he says, Timothy, get here as quickly as you can. Then he says something else that's kind of interesting. He says, oh, by the way, bring John Mark with you. Why is that interesting? We look in the book of Acts early on before we get to the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 15 you're going to see that there was a little bit of a split, a little bit of a disagreement about how to proceed. Do we ever have disagreements in church? This disagreement is actually going to work through the glory of the Lord, but at the time, I'm sure it was kind of strenuous. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So if you study the scriptures, you know that Barnabas was an encourager. That's what his name is about. And Paul and Barnabas had went out and done great things. They had to come back and kind of make their case before the Jerusalem council to tell them that Gentiles are coming to Christ and how exciting that was. And so they had this huge, great, positive first journey. In verse 36, the Bible says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. We're going to go back and make another trip. Check on everybody. Verse 37, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Barnabas is an includer. I'm an includer, and it gets me in trouble all the time. (laughs) I think Mark would be great. Paul, don't you think Mark would be great? Let's bring him along, and we'll teach him, and we'll grow him. He could be with us, somebody else on the team. This will be awesome. Verse 38, But Paul thought not good to take with 
him with them to take Mark with them who departed from them from Pamphylia. So Mark had already messed up a time before and he went not with them to the work. Are you getting the scenario? Paul's like, I got work to do. We got people to go, places to go, people to see. We got to get the word out. I can't be debating whether this young kid is going to stick around or not. I got to count on him. And what's Barnabas saying? Oh, just give him another chance. He'll be fine. He's got great potential. I know he messed up before, but it'll be okay. Which person are you? Let somebody else do the encouraging. I got stuff to do. Is that you? Are you the one that's like, oh, no, just one more chance. It'll be all right. Well, verse 39, the Bible says, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Good old King James word there. And so Barnabas took Mark and he went to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. They had a breakup. One of the greatest missionary teams, maybe the greatest missionary team ever has a split. And so Barnabas says, I'm, I'm going to take Mark. Paul says, I'm not. They go their way. Now, what actually happens, what happens a lot of times, which I hate church splits, I can't stand them, but when it happens because of that a lot of times is actually it pushes people out and it helps new people get to hear the gospel. And that's what happened in this case here. Now, Paul's tone will slowly start to change about Mark in the scriptures. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you. And Marcus, uh, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you have received commandments, if he come unto you, what's he say? Receive him. If Mark shows up, go ahead, bring him in. It's still kind of like a lukewarm <laughs> welcome, isn't it, right? Uh, if Barnabas' nephew comes along, go ahead, bring him in. I'm not mad as I was anymore. But now things have really, really changed. And so here in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, get Mark and bring him. I need him. You ever written anybody off? Right? And here it is turned around, and Paul's like, yes, I need him now. I think that's a good lesson for me this morning to be careful about who we write off in the Lord's grace. All right, so Paul says some things here about how he felt and the situation he was in. Look down at verse 12, and here Paul reminds us that God has never, he says, God has never let me down. Verse 12, Paul says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and so when you come to Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus, Etroaz, and my scrolls, and especially the parchments. Now, Alexander the metal worker, he did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. If you would like to underline, that's a good thing to underline in verse 17. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. All right, so they're doing a little bit of a church shuffle here. Timothy was at Corinth. Paul's in jail in Rome. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you come to me at Rome. And so he's going to send Tychicus, most likely, to go uh, then over to Ephesus and Corinth in that area to serve in those places. Now, I want you to think with me, again, Paul has got some great people that are working with him that he can entrust to continue the work. We talked a little bit about this last week. How well would our church do if we lost the leaders of our church? Today's a good day to talk about that, right? Where's Rick? Where's Todd? You know, even some of our newer folks who have been really stepping up. Where's Ray and Diane? Can we keep the things going? Can we keep the work going? And so we need to always be developing leaders. We need to always be seeking to do that. And I would encourage you today, who are you pouring into? That's so important as we think through these things. What's Paul asking for? What's he want? Timothy, bring with this to me. Three things. What's the first thing? Bring my, my cloak. Bring my coat. I don't know the situation, but I know from working in the Hamilton County Jail, you go in with what's on your person, and when you go out, you get what was on your person. So if you get arrested in August, and you're in shorts and a t-shirt, and you get released in January, you go out in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, right? Okay. And so when Paul was taken away here, he was arrested. He did not, for some reason, have his cloak with him. So he says, bring my, bring my cloak. I, could, I really appreciate that. What else does he want? His letters, right? And the, the parchments, the scriptures and the parchments, the letters and the parchments. Now, there's, again, a little speculation here to what this is. When he says, especially the parchments, some people think that maybe he was talking about the Old Testament. Like he might have had some pieces of the Old Testament that were on the parchments, and that's what he's talking about. But other people have mentioned that maybe those were still things that were in progress that he was writing. But what I want you to think about today is what all he asked for was not much, was it? The man traveled light, right? I mean, I'm sure he could have had like tip-making equipment. He could have had other worldly possessions that he needed. But because of all the places he was going, he didn't have a lot of stuff. He didn't have a garage, right? Think about all the stuff that we have. Is there things that we can better utilize with what we have for the glory of the Lord? Paul traveled light, and here it makes a huge difference, okay? Again, Paul is trying to do what the Lord wants first rather than seeking his own good. Now, this is something else that stood out to me this morning. He says, there were some problem people, Timothy, and when you come here, you're going to need to look out for them. Who was the problem person? Here his name is Alexander the metal worker. Now it's kind of interesting because in chapter, excuse me, in the first book of Timothy that Paul wrote, he mentions Alexander. And if it is the same one, he says, Alexander made a shipwreck of his faith. Uh, one of the commentators named Barclay says this, he says, it may well be that Alexander was a renegade Christian who went to the judges with false information against Paul, seeking to ruin him in the most dishonorable way. And it could be that a big reason that Paul is actually in prison is because of Alexander, right? So here's this guy who at one time was a believer or was either, he may have been faking it or he really was a believer one way or the other. And then he decides that he doesn't want anything else to do with that. And so much so that he's actually antagonistic to the gospel 
and to Paul. And I want to tell you this again today, and I'm not telling you anything new, but there are people who will cause problems for the gospel. How can I say this carefully? I want to be careful here. We've been studying some of these things on our Wednesday night with Michael. It's been good. Healing is a choice. There is definitely an element that God allows difficult things into our lives. Okay? Other way, God allows bad things to happen to good people. That's obvious, right? Okay? But what I want you to see sometimes that sometimes the bad things that come our way are the result of the sins of other people. Even though God could take glory and get glory out of those things, he can, but also that doesn't alleviate them from the responsibility of the sin and the damage that sin does in in our world and in our lives. And here Paul's saying that about Alexander. Paul could just be all positive and say, well, I have a great opportunity because I have someone who's standing against me. But here he's also pointing out the sin of Alexander. And he has, Paul has, so this is so important. He has put his vengeance and his desire for uh, 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 cursing, if you will, into the hands of the Lord. It's not your job to get your revenge. That's hard sometimes, isn't it, right? When our lesson today with Leah was, bless those who persecute you. What? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Bless them. And here Paul says about Alexander, I'm giving him over to the Lord. God will take care of him. And he has to let that vengeance go to the Lord. I encourage you to do the same thing today. Not only that, he tells Timothy, Timothy, you be on your guard. And can we say this again today real clearly? It's hard. Uh, things that I didn't learn in church, I don't think, when I was a young child. You don't have to be nice to everybody. What? I thought as a Christian, I'm supposed to be nice to everyone. What did Paul tell Timothy about Alexander? Watch out for him. Be on your guard. His desire is to destroy the work of the Lord. You pay attention to that. Now, Timothy could have been one of those people like, well, everybody needs redemption. I'll I'll figure out a way. I'm going to go and help Alexander. (laughs) And Paul, again, is speaking really clear to Timothy, be on your guard with Alexander. He's a false teacher. He should be treated as such. And so, again, not that we don't love everyone and hope they would all come to Christ, but there are some people that we will stand against. Hello? There are some people even in our day that we will stand against because we believe differently. We behold to the word of God when other people do not. Again, Paul says it's not been easy since his first events in Rome. uh, No one has come to support his cause, and I'm sure he was disheartened. He expected to see some boldness from his team, but he found none, and yet he's very forgiving toward them. But what he says to me and what stands out to me this morning, he says, the Lord was with me. Even when he feels let down, he's reminded God is with him and God strengthens him. And this truth is a simple truth, but that him and God are a majority. And so from Thomas Merton, I have a quote for you today. I thought it was pretty applicable. As soon as you are really alone, you are with God. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I think sometimes the Lord gets us in that place so that we'll be with him. 
I'm seeing some heads nodding out there. And I think you guys know this feeling, don't you, right? You know what it is sometimes to be really alone. And what Paul says is, I felt really alone. But even in my really aloneness, that's where I knew the Lord was. And he strengthened me. And sometimes the Lord lets us go through the valley. So we really will hold to him. When you feel alone, ask the Lord to stand by your side and then serve and go about the good work. Don't stop. Paul says his purpose was not thwarted. The Gentiles would here. And again, we're evidence of that today that this church is sitting here even today is part of because Paul was going to the Gentiles and God graced him that he would accomplish it. He also says something else pretty interesting. Now, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Anybody know anything about that? In uh, Roman culture, literally, they would have a coliseum full of games. And some of the times, one of the games was that they would feed people to lions. And you thought our culture was bad, right? <laughs> literally, that would happen. Now, what we don't know here is there's three different lions that this could be that Paul is talking about. So you prayerfully can consider these things, but really the ultimate thing is we trust the Lord regardless, and we can be delivered regardless. It could have been literal lions. It could have been the lion that was the emperor Nero or one of the Roman emperors at Paul's time. And then it could have also been the one that we know that is seeking to devour us, roaring like a lion, right? what Paul says here is that the Lord delivered me from the lion's mouth. And so he had put his trust in him. Whichever one it was of those things, here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. It was not Paul's time. And here's what I want to say to you today. No one will or can take you before God's time. Trust the Lord in that. Paul's evidence of it, right? There are people who may have some great plans to hurt you or harm you, but if it's not the Lord's time, they will have no place about it. Again, Paul praises God in the midst of tough times. He is confident in God's power to bring him safely to his kingdom. That doesn't mean he's not going to have persecution, but that he will not fall off and fail, that he will be delivered and his life will matter. We saw that the last two weeks, right? I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith, and henceforth has laid for me a crown of righteousness. All right, let's look at some final goodbyes this morning. Look down at verse 19. Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus, and Erastus stayed with me in Corinth. Excuse me, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And I would even say Timothy, right? Paul has had some good faithful workers over the years. Priscilla and Aquila are ones that come to mind right from the get-go. They were with him. And so he blesses them and thanks them for their work. Anesiphorus, if you follow him in the scriptures, he came to Paul and met Paul's needs, also from Ephesus. And what a blessing that he was. Second Timothy 1.16, we already kind of heard this before. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains, right? Remember the friendship bench we talked about at the beginning today? That's Anesiphorus, right? When people were hurting, he was out to love and encourage them. Who can you do that for this week? And Rastus is in Corinth, and 
Here's something I thought was interesting. Trophimus, he says, I'd love to have him with me, but he's sick. What did Paul do many, many times? He healed the sick. And I think even on at least once, maybe more than one occasion, he actually raised the dead. And he says, Trophimus is sick. People will sometimes try to say that, well, if you only have more faith, you won't have any sickness, you won't have any pain. <laughs> and here it is again that somebody is with a man of God, and yet God has allowed them to go through difficult things. So again, don't buy into those kind of teachings as they come your way. Acts 20, verse 4, Paul says, And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Again, good, faithful friends. And then Paul says, get here before the winter. Why do you think he cares about that? Do we have any sailors out there today? Sailing in the wintertime is a bad decision. It doesn't go well. <laughs> and so Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, before winter gets here, get here before then, because once winter hits, you don't need to be traveling. He mentions Putin's, who was prob probably a Roman senator, Linus, uh, possibly a bishop of Rome later on, Claudia, who was possibly the wife of Putin's. Again, just this group of people. So if Paul was writing a letter from our church today, uh, and he was sending it to another church, maybe in uh, Cleveland or New York or downtown in El Paso, or, and he was to end it, how would he, he word it out, you think, right? And Esther and Sintel send you greetings. Their hospitality has been so encouraging, right? And Melissa and Scott, they say hello, and they're hanging in there faithfully praying, right? And even, uh, I would say, Miss Vicky, in my words, <laughs> and Crazy Rick, they're still doing what the Lord wants them to do, right? If you were writing the end of your letter to describe to our church family what we're accomplishing and what we're striving and who we are, hopefully for none of us it would be that they have forsaken me, but that they are serving the Lord with me. All right, let's close with this final illustration this morning from Greg Ogden. He said, Sheldon Vanuken was a student of the English professor and the Christian apologist C.S. Lewis in the early 50s. He recounts in his book, A Severe Mercy, the story of his last meeting with his mentor when Vanuken was leaving Oxford for the United States. Over one final lunch together at a pub, they had spent time wondering aloud about the nature of life after death. When they had finished eating, they stood outside of the pub and they talked for a few more minutes and just before parting ways, Lewis said to Vanuken, I shan't say goodbye. We will meet again. The great apologist then plunged into the traffic to cross the street with Vanuken while Vanuken watched his friend walk away. When Lewis got to the other side of the street, he turned around, anticipating that his friend would still be standing there. And with a grin on his face, Lewis shouted over the great roar of cars, Besides, Christians never say goodbye. Do you believe that? You guys, that is so good. Christians never say goodbye. Why is that? Because I'll see you again. I will see you again. I would challenge you, if you meet a Christian in another setting besides your local church setting, 
Maybe you're on a vacation. Some of you guys are going to be traveling. Maybe you run into someone and you're able to share faith and you find out that they're a believer too. That even as you're leaving, that you encourage them that it's okay, I'll see you again. Right? And I think Paul in his heart of hearts knew what he's facing right here is the lion, is the Roman government, and he is going to have his life ended by the Roman government. But he knew that this was not it. I would encourage you to, to keep that same strength in your heart, knowing that the people that you love, that love the Lord, that this is not it. All right, final challenge today. Make the extra effort to encourage your brothers and sisters, but also remember that even if you feel alone, you are never, ever alone. God is with you. And maybe even in the aloneness he's drawing to you, God be with you till we meet again. I don't know some of you, maybe that's an old, because I'm an old person now, but there's an old song that was that way. God be with you till we meet again. And I think that that should just ring in our hearts. That, hey, if I don't see you tomorrow, I will see you. It won't be too much longer. I'll see you again, all right? Let's stand this morning.